And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And now I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down on their face and worshiped. That has nothing really to do with what we're going to be talking about this morning, but you can never hear that enough. You can never hear that enough. And the truth is, that has everything to do with everything, right? John chapter 17, I know Brother James said last week that we were done after he got done preaching. I talked him into letting me do one more. And it's really the same text that he preached last week. And rather than taking what, what he had to do, which was work through all of the last three verses or so, what I want to do is I want to dig a little deeper into the last two phrases of the last verse. And John 17, what we're calling John 17b, uh, 26b, says these words, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I just want to go a little bit deeper into those two phrases. Now last week, Brother James talked about how the phrase that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, in part means that the Father loves us as He loves the Son. And I want to yes and amen that. Okay? That the Father loves the church the way He loves the Son because we are the body of Christ and He is the head. So He loves us like He loves His Son. The result of that is that we love others. But this text... This phrase, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, does not simply make the followers of Jesus the object of God's love. This doesn't simply mean that God loves us the same way He loves the Son. But as D.A. Carson states it so beautifully... It promises that God's love for His Son will become their love for the Son. So, so catch this now. That the love, Jesus is praying to the Father, that the love with which you have loved me will be in them. Which promises... 
that the love the Father has for the Son is in me. And that I, Jesus is praying that I will have the Father's love for the Son. So it, it's twofold. It means that God loves me the way he loves the Son, but it also means that the Father's love for the Son is in me so that I am to love the Son the same way the Father does. Now, if you're like me, you hear that and you say, how is that possible? How is it possible that I am to love the Son the same way the Father loves the Son? How is that made possible? How can we love Jesus with the same love that the Father has for Jesus? Now, as I answer that question today, this is going to be a little bit different how we have to go about it. I'm not simply going to take the words of this text and walk through them. I'm going to have to do two things. I'm going to have to walk us through kind of a historical understanding of the Trinity. And then what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to walk us through some texts of the Bible that illustrate that truth. Are you with me? And I just want you to know right now, if you tune out at any part, you're going to get lost. I'm just, I'm just warning you now. It's one of these things. You start talking about the Trinity. And if you blank out and start thinking about what you're going to have for lunch or the nap that you want, you're going to fall behind, you're going to get lost, and then you're going to be trying to catch up, and you're going to be like, I'm going to have to just watch it on YouTube or Facebook later, I guess, because I, I missed something. So, lock in with me, all right? Now, we have spent, this is week 12 on John 17. We have spent 11 weeks in John 17. And there seems to be, at least on the surface, a glaring omission in John 17. The Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit in John 17? Jesus is praying, and he does not mention the Holy Spirit. He's praying to the Father for all kinds of stuff. He's talking a lot about how he loves the Father and he wants to glorify the Father and the Father loves the Son and wants to glorify the Son, but nothing in regards to the Spirit. And at first glance, this seems very strange, especially given the fact that everything Jesus is praying for is only going to come to pass if the Holy Spirit does it. Right? So it seems weird that the Holy Spirit's not mentioned, even though Jesus is praying for things that will only happen if the Holy Spirit does it in the disciples and those that believe because of their testimony. Are you with me? It seems weird that he doesn't say, Father, when send the Spirit so that the Spirit can do this or the Spirit can do that. Where is the Spirit in John 17? Let's just put that question aside and let's take, let's have a discussion about part of the Trinitarian view of the Holy Spirit for a moment. The historical view of the Trinity is that we have one God in three persons. Amen? Amen. That, is an, that is the orthodox 
historical view of the Trinity. To deny that is to be unorthodox. You do not fall under the umbrella of Orthodox Christianity to deny one God in three eternal persons. Now another thing, another thing that is the historical doctrine of the Trinity is that the Holy Spirit, and we're going to kind of camp out on the Holy Spirit for a minute, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and is sent by the Father and the Son to do their work. Okay? So the, the historical view is that the Spirit of God proceeds from the Father and the Son, is sent by the Father and the Son to the earth to do their work. John 15, 26 says this, But when the Helper comes, this is Jesus speaking, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you may read that and say, well, okay, so he proceeds from the Father, not the Son. The Son's going to send him, but he proceeds from the Father. However, when we look at the New Testament, we will see often that the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Acts 16, 7 says the Spirit of Jesus. Romans 8, 9, the Spirit of Christ. Galatians 4, 6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Philippians 1, 19, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 11, the Spirit of Christ. John 16, 14, kind of clinches this idea that the Spirit proceeds from the Son as well because Jesus said, the Spirit will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Have you ever wondered why we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that order? It is not because the Father is more important than the Son and the Spirit. It is not because the, the, the Father and Son are more important than the Spirit. It is because it is the way that the Trinity proceeds from one another. The Son proceeds from the Father and is sent by the Father to the earth. Correct? The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and is sent to earth by the Father and the Son to do their work. Correct? So the reason why we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that order is we're talking about the order of procession and the order by which they are sent to accomplish God's work upon the earth. It's not about importance. It's not about who's in charge. Okay? But here's a question. In what way does the Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son? In what way does the Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son? Now, in order to try to answer this, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, 
Now in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to look at verse 13 and 14 in just a minute. But this is the chapter where David is anointed the next king of Israel amongst his brothers. And verse 13 says this, that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. You see that? That the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Verse 14, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. See that? Verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. Now, David knows how important it is to have the Holy Spirit. You remember when he sins, what he prays in Psalm 51, 11? Remember what he says? Lord, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He knows, without your Holy Spirit, I am doomed and nothing. I can accomplish nothing. Don't do to me what happened to Saul. I saw what happened when the Spirit left Saul. Do not let that happen to me. But there's something very profound that the Lord reveals through His Word to Samuel. In 2 Samuel 7.15, turn over to 2 Samuel. Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 15. Now what we're dealing with is God revealing His covenant to David. Okay? This is God speaking to Samuel, but He's speaking about His covenant to David. And as God is talking about His covenant, He says this in verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Now notice, there's a connection that is being made. The Holy Spirit left Saul. When God speaks of this event, what does He say is taken off of Saul? His steadfast love. When I removed my spirit from Saul, I removed my steadfast covenantal love from him. So it seems that the love of God and the Spirit of God are linked together and walk as close friends in the Old Testament. I could take you to other passages, but I wanted you to see this example. Okay? The relationship between the Spirit and the love of God is picked up, that language and that idea is picked up in the New Testament. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. As you're turning there, let me tell you what's going on. Paul is discussing the promise of God to Abraham. And he says that the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's covenantal love for Abraham. So the covenantal love that God gave to Abraham and promised to Abraham and told him, listen, here's what's coming. You're going to have nations that come from your your line. You will have more stars 
in more children than stars in the sky and sand on the seashore, and, and they're going to be people from the nations. So the covenantal love that was set upon Abraham, Paul is now picking up that language and saying the fulfillment of that to Abraham is that the Gentiles get the Holy Spirit. You with me? What Paul's doing? Here's what he says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So because of Christ Jesus... The covenantal love given to Abraham is now seen and manifested to Gentiles who have received the Holy Spirit. To lose the Spirit of God would be to lose the covenantal love of God. If you were to lose God's spirit in your life right now, you would cease to have his covenantal love. That is the argument that Paul is making. Paul is using here the spirit of God as the promise and the down payment for our resurrection. So Paul is saying, listen, God gave this covenantal love to Abraham. But it wasn't just for Abraham's descendants by blood. It was through, it was by his descendants by faith. And so through Jesus, the Gentiles are brought into this covenantal love. But how? When the Holy Spirit fills them. This then helps us. It seems that the Spirit proceeds from the, the Father and the Son as love. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son as love. Now, this has been a belief of the church throughout its 2,000-year history. Here's what I have found out about Christians in the United States, myself included. We do not know church history very well. And so what will happen is we will hear something that we think is new because we don't know church history and we don't know that they believe this for 2,000 years. And we're like, well, why? I tell you what, this newfangled stuff that I'm hearing. I've had people come to me and say to me, I've never heard what you preach. And I'm worried because it's this new thing. And I'm like, this is as old as church history is old. But because we don't know church history, we think it's new. So when I say to you that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son as love, you may be sitting there going, I've never heard that before in my life. I'm here to let you know it has been written about for 2,000 years, and the church has believed it for 2,000 years. We just don't know our church history very well. Okay? It's not a, we're not, I'm not bashing this. I'm just saying maybe we can get better at that. Here's what 2nd century Greek bishop Irenaeus said by the way, he was a student of Polycarp. You know who Polycarp was a student of? The Apostle John. Second century, right? So we're talking about the 100s. 
This dude is only one step away from being a student of John the Apostle. So he got his doctrine explained to him from Polycarp, who got it from John. You with me? You see how close we are to the Apostle John here? Here's what he says. He says that the Son and the Spirit are like two arms of God. Jesus as the Word of God and the Spirit as the love of God. First century. Jesus is the Word of God, the Spirit is the love of God. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, he was an Italian theologian, he wrote this, but from the fact that the Father and the Son mutually love one another, it necessarily follows that this mutual love, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from both. What did Thomas Aquinas say? He said, the love of God is the Holy Spirit manifested in us. Have you ever thought it strange that there is nowhere in the New Testament where it talks about the Father and the Son loving the Spirit? You ever thought that weird? We hear a lot about the Son loving the Father and the Father loving the Son. We don't ever hear about the Son loving the Spirit or the Father loving the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is the is the love of the Father and Son personified. The emphasis, it's not that the Father and the Son don't love the Spirit, but the emphasis of the Spirit is that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son as love. Maybe I can help. By the way, this was also the doctrine of 4th century African theologian Augustine of Hippo. Believe the same thing. So I've just named for us three massive, huge figures in church history that are saying this. Let let, let me go to good old C.S. Lewis, right? Sometimes this dude says things in a way that just makes us go, huh, I understand that. This is what he, he says about this in Mere Christianity. He says, the union between the Father and the Son is such a live, concrete thing that this union is also a person. I know that among human beings, when they get together in a family or a club or a trade union, people talk about the spirit of that family or club or trade union. They talk about its spirit because the individual members, when they are together, do really develop particular ways of talking and behaving, which they would not do if they were apart. It is as if a sort of communal personality came into existence. Have you heard people say, I tell you what, I just love the spirit at Calvary Hill Baptist Church. I don't think when they say that, that mostly they're talking about the Holy Spirit. I think they're saying the spirit by which the people of Calvary Hill relate to one another and commune to one another is special. And so they'll say, man, there's just a spirit, a wonderful spirit at Calvary Hill. That's what he's talking about. Of course, it's not a real person. We don't say, you know, there's, there's a a spirit about Calvary Hill. We don't mean that that spirit is a real person. 
but only it's like a person. But that is just one of the differences between God and us. What grows, listen, what grows out of the joint life of the Father and the Son is a real person. In fact, the third of the three persons who are God. The third person is called the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. John Piper says it like this, The Holy Spirit is the eternal love that flows between the Father and the Son as they delight in each other. So the reason why we probably don't have language in the New Testament about God the Father and God the Son loving the Holy Spirit is because it's trying to teach us that the Father and the Spirit, their love for one another, that communal love, is the Holy Spirit. With this in mind, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Probably a passage you're very familiar with. It is, this is where it says, God is love. Let's read verses 7 through 13, okay? Now, if you will take what we've talked about so far, and you will think about the Holy Spirit as the, the love of, the, of God the Father personified, I think it's going to make 1 John 4, 7 through 13 make a lot more sense. Here's what it says in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another... For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now let's stop right there. Let me ask you a question. Love is from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God. How are you born of God? What person of the Trinity brings you to new birth, new life? The Holy Spirit. So here it's, it, it's saying love is from God. And if you love, it's because you have been born again by the Spirit of God. You see the link between spirit and love? Let's keep going. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him, that we might live through Christ. How do you, church, live through Jesus? Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He have loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Church, how are we able to love each other the way that we're supposed to? Holy Spirit, it's the first of His fruits, by the way. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. How does God abide in you, church? Holy Spirit. How is love perfected in you, church? Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. So could it be that the person of the Godhead that is here called love is the Holy Spirit? When it says God is love, could that not refer to the third person of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit is love. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you by God so that you are able 
to be born again. You are able to live through Jesus. You are able to love one another. You are able to abide in him and love can be perfected in your life all through the God that is love, the Holy Spirit. Now, with all of that being said, let's go back to John 17. We're coming back around to our original question. How in the world can I be filled with the Father's love for the Son? How can I love the Son the way the Father loves the Son? Little bells ought to be going off, ding, 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 all in your, your flags and... You should already know the answer now. We can do this. We can love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus because the the love of the Father personified lives in us. The Holy Spirit, who is the love of the Father for the Son, lives in us. It's not an abstract concept. It is a person. It is God, the Spirit, living in us. We actually have the love of the Father and the Son dwelling within us. Romans 5.5 God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Practically speaking, this means that God comes into our lives by the Holy Spirit and begins to give us new affections, new emotions, namely the emotions of God for God. Stop and think about that statement. God comes into our lives by the Holy Spirit And he begins to give us new affections, new emotions, namely the emotions of God for God. It is the presence of God, the Spirit in our lives that causes us to love Jesus with the love of God the Father. To be ruled by the Spirit is to be ruled by a divine love for Jesus. Of course, this will be a growing reality as we move from one glory to another glory to another glory. It's not perfected in an instant or a singular moment. But oh, what kind of love this is. There is no greater love in all the universe than the love flowing between the Father and the Son and the Holy Trinity. No love is more powerful, more intense, more continuous, more pure, more full of delight in the beloved than the love of the God that God the Father has for the Son. The last phrase of John 17 just reinforces all this. And I in them. You do know the second person of the Trinity, the Son, does not live in you. You know that, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. In a flesh, human, resurrected body. 
we forget that Jesus is human right now. It's like he got resurrected and you know, they saw him and stuff and then he ascended into heaven and he just kind of turned into some ether spirit ghost thing. No, no, no. Jesus is a human being right now. That would be very weird if the second person of the Trinity in a human body could live inside of you. But Jesus says, and I in them. How is, that, how is that possible? How can Jesus live in me? His spirit lives in me. The spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son and is the love of God personified lives in me. That is why it is troubling when the church can't love each other. That's troubling. Because if we claim Jesus, if we claim to be saved, if we claim to be born again, then the divine love of God for God lives in me. And He lives in you. And we got to love each other. It's God not loving God. If we, you know what I'm saying? I may, not, I may have just been heresy, what I just said, but I don't know. <laughs> Forget that last line. So how then are we to love Jesus? If you're born again, you are to see Jesus with the eyes of the Father. You are to love Him with the love of the Father. And you are to, to delight in Him with the delight of the Father. How is it possible that people who have never seen Jesus consider Him the greatest treasure in the universe how is that possible? Because the love of the Father for the Son, the delight of the Father for the Son dwells in me. God the Father thinks God the Son is the greatest thing in the universe. And so do we. If we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We see Him with the eyes of God. We love Him with the love of God. We delight in Him with the delight of God. Now I know that was a long journey to get to the answer to that question. But if we can grasp this, it may just change everything may just change everything. Some of that petty stuff that keeps us mad at each other. Holy Spirit of God says, worth not loving each other over? The way we talk to one another, the way we conduct ourselves outside of these walls, Is it ruled by a love for Jesus that comes from the Father? See, we've been made brand new. There is a new creation that we have been made and now are a part of. And it is ruled by a divine love for Jesus. It's the rule of the kingdom and will be forever. 
That's why maybe Revelation 5 does have everything to do with it. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Why now? is the Lamb sitting on the throne with God the Father. He has been exalted because of the Father's love for the Son. And why do we sing this song? Why is this the rule, the, the song that we will sing forever and ever on the new earth? Because we have been made brand new. And the rule of the new creation is a divine love for Jesus Christ and will be forever. That needs to start being manifested right now. We don't, we don't wait and go, you know what, I'll get around to that loving Jesus and loving people stuff when Jesus comes back. Oh, no, no, new creation is now. Mom said it, already but not yet. It's already here, it's just not yet in its fullness, but we're headed toward that fullness. Let's have a divine love for Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit.